Good morning. It's good to gather, whether in person or virtually. It is good to take an opportunity in our life to gather and worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to worship our God. Just a couple of announcements before we begin. Women of the Church, I have two announcements for you. Number one, Bible study will begin Wednesday night at 6 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. Michelle has your books, and they are 10 apiece. Um, so please make sure you grab them. They're in that little white box there on the end of the second pew. And then also your monthly business meeting will be September 8th at what time will you all meet? Seven. Seven o'clock in the fellowship hall also. So please keep those two dates in mind. Um, our Sunday night Bible study will resume on the 13th. We'll meet in the fellowship hall at five o'clock and we are going through uh, relational wisdom for the first um, nine weeks of that, which is a uh, it's written by a man who wrote a book on Christian reconciliation, Christian conflict resolution, and it's his teaching on how not to have to get to the part on the conflict resolution to actually avoid conflicts before they begin. So um, it's a combination of video and discussion. So um, we'll be doing beginning that on the 13th. Are there any other announcements today? Our call to worship comes from Psalm 43. Hear these words from our Lord. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we gather in a church that resides within the midst of an ungodly nation. And we gather here to worship you. Vindicate us. We join with the psalmist in saying, justify our witness for you. We join with the saints who have been martyred in heaven, saying, how long, O Lord, until our message, your message, is vindicated in this world? Lord, it's difficult to wait. It's difficult to see a culture and a world that we love falling apart. And yet it is a reminder that we are strangers and aliens here. And that this, this gathering for worship is the picture of our true home. It is practice for that time when we will gather with all the saints from every tribe, from every nation, from every language, from every age, and worship you forever in the new heavens and the new earth. So as we gather here in worship, some of us with downcast souls, remind us that our hope is in you and remind us that we are here to praise you in the midst of an ungodly nation. And so, Lord, we ask that you hear our prayers, 
and that we hear the one that you have taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When we are in trouble, when we are distressed, God is our resort. And so let us take Bible songs and turn to number 90. God, the resort of the troubled. When we find ourselves in a world in the midst of an ungodly nation, seeking relief, seeking grace from oppression, we cry out to God. So let us stand and sing Bible song number 90, God, the resort of the troubled. Thank you. 
Amen. Please be seated. As we consider being led to God's holy hill, we are reminded of our sins. And like Daniel did in Daniel chapter 9, as he approached God and confessed on behalf of the nation of Israel, as Jesus called us to seek forgiveness for our sins, not only for mine, but for our sins. Let us listen as I pray for confession of our sins. O God, our Father, forgive us for our many sins. Like Eve, we are easily captivated by the objects that our eyes desire. We fall so often, and when we do, we run and hide in shame instead of running to you to confess our sin and find joy and forgiveness in the cross. You have given us your most cherished treasure, yet we prize many other things more highly than Christ. Forgive us for trusting our own strength more than in his power to save us completely. We live each day with our hearts full of our own desires, minds full of our own agendas, and plans for our own self-promotion. Forgive us, Lord. Jesus, you are our strong salvation. Thank you for invading our world to rescue us from ourselves. We cannot fathom the humility, love, and commitment to your Father's glory, which led you to give up heaven for us. When the Holy Spirit took you into the desert to be tempted by Satan, you kept your eyes fixed firmly on your Father, your soul devoted to serving Him in perfect obedience, and your mind saturated with Scripture. You gave up your own glory to be stripped, humiliated, and shattered in death so that you could serve us and be our substitute. The joy of your life was fixed firmly upon the will of God. And now we find the joy of our lives to be your obedience for us and your death in our place. How can we ever thank you adequately? Holy Spirit, fill us with everlasting wonder that the gospel is true. You kept your promise to send a Savior. Help us to stop trying to rescue others and ourselves. When we are tempted to sin as Eve did, remind us of Christ who kept all your laws for us, and fix our eyes on him. Whether we give in to temptation or resist, show us Christ, our only hope for the perfect obedience that we require to stand before you. Give us the kind of heart that serves you with peaceful abandon, unconcerned about our own welfare and reputation, submissive and quiet before you. Cause us to cherish Christ above all our other desires so that we will be satisfied in him for all eternity. In his name we pray. Amen. And hear these words of assurance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. Our scripture reading today comes... From the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 20, beginning in verse 35. The the setting for this particular passage that we're going to read, verses 35 through 42, is Jonathan has asked David why he has not been around the palace. And David has said, your father is trying to kill me. And Jonathan doesn't believe him. 
And Jonathan has just asked his father about this. And his father has gotten mad at Jonathan and threatened to kill Jonathan as well as David for their friendship. And so Jonathan goes out to meet David to explain what happened. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him. And he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing of all this, only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go, carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Now is the time where we would typically collect the tithes and the offerings. Um, You know the drill. We have the baskets here, we have the baskets in the back, or you can mail them in. God and Father above, thank you for all that you have given to us. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you through the giving of our tithes and offerings. Lord, your ministry is sustained through these tithes and offerings. And so we ask that what has been given be honoring to you, be glorifying to you, and that you use it in such a way that that glory shines into the darkness of our community, our state, our country, and our world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are to be people who are marked by joy. We are to be people who praise God in our joy. So please take your hymn book and turn to hymn number 21. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Let's remain standing and sing.
Please be seated. We are people gathered around truth, the truth of the scripture, and we profess that truth aloud. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we approach the Lord in prayer, I do have an update on Jonathan. His surgery went very well on Friday. They got home last night about 630 and so we pray for his recovery and thank God that the, the surgeon feels the surgery was successful. Continue to pray for Bill Harris um, as he is still recovering from his surgery to remove the tumors from behind his ear and also going through his um, uh, radiation treatments. Uh, Tim Rice, uh, continue to pray for his family. Um, he was back in the pulpit last week and... Um, uh, his wife and son are still recovering. I guess they determined his son did have a mild uh, case of the coronavirus, as did his wife, um, but everybody is recovering. Um, continue to pray for Katie in her recovery. Roy has postponed his surgery for a time, so please be praying for him. Um, continue to lift up the Mankins, Rosalie, Tommy, Mike, Jim, and Mariana, as um, they are all homebound right now. Are there any other updates or prayer requests? Okay. All right. Has that been scheduled or? Okay. Continue to pray for Ethan and uh, Chris and Missy and Emily. I know you got to see them briefly in a video this week, so I'm, I'm sure that felt good. Very briefly. 
<laughs> Any other prayer requests? Right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father, we are a people who should be full of joy. Our joy is found in the fact that the God of the universe has enacted and brought about a plan whereby we may be reconciled, even though we are sinners. Lord, in your holiness, you look at sin and you cannot be in its presence. And yet you provided a way where we might be holy before you. We, through the work of your son, the second person of the Trinity, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, have been declared righteous and holy before you. And that is a reality that is ours. And Lord, that should bring us joy. As we struggle with pursuing holiness in our lives, we should remember that we are righteous, that we are holy because of the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And nothing can change that. It should strengthen us to pursue our sanctification in joy. It should strengthen us to pursue your presence through the word and through prayer. And it should remind us that we are your sons and daughters, that we are fellow heirs with Christ of the joy of the glory that is ours before us, and that nothing can change those realities. And so, Lord, help us to remember that. We are forgetful people, and we forget that we are holy and righteous before you. Our enemy, Satan, confronts us often with our sin and our sinfulness, with the fleshly nature that still wraps around us, and yet you have broken the power of the accuser by giving us an advocate before you, an advocate that reminds you of our holiness, an advocate that reminds you of our righteousness, and an advocate that takes our prayers as feeble and as fickle as they are and brings them before you as a pleasing offering, as a pleasing incense to you. And so we lift up those feeble and fickle prayers today. We lift up surely to you and Lord, we ask that you give the doctor's wisdom, that you, that you get her surgery rescheduled quickly, and that you bring her healing from whatever ailment she has. We pray for Bill, and we ask that you would continue to sustain him and strengthen him. We praise you that UVA has declared him to be the record holder for the person who has lived the longest with a heart transplant from UVA. And we also praise you for the healing that he has had so far with this tumor, and we ask for continued healing. We praise you that Jonathan and Kimberly are home, that Jonathan's surgery seems to have gone well so far, and we pray for a quick recovery and a quick healing from his surgery. We praise you that Tim was back in the pulpit proclaiming Christ and him crucified to his congregation. We praise you that his wife and son were not any more affected than they were, that you have also protected Calvin and Betty from this virus. We pray for continued recovery for Tim's wife and Tim's son. We pray for Katie and ask that you continue to sustain her and lift her up, to strengthen her um, in her fight against MS and give the doctors wisdom in that. We lift up her family and the Williamson family as well, as they are still uncertain as to when Wesley may return. And so, Lord, please uh, bring him home soon 
and reunite those families together. We think also of Ethan as he is away. We thank you for the brief video uh, that we had of him, and we pray that you continue to sustain and strengthen him there in his training and be with the rest of his family as well. Strengthen them and lift them up as they miss being near their son, their brother, and their grandson and nephew. Lord, we lift up all of those that um, are unable to be with us due to health reasons. We think of Carol and Bob. We think of Rosalie and Tommy and Mike, of Jim and of Mariana. And we ask that you fill them with your presence. Remind them that our thoughts and prayers are with them, and those are not merely empty words. Those are powerful within the people of God because they are means by which you use to bring your presence and your strength into their difficult situations. And so lift them up, strengthen them, and give them the comfort of your presence. And Lord, as we lift up these requests, as we lift up our prayers, whether it was the earlier prayer of confession, the earlier prayer of thanksgiving and dedication, the earlier prayer of invocation, we know that when we pray, we are to pray according to your will and to your glory. And so as we lift up these people, as we lift up these prayer requests, remind us to be content in your will and in your glory and help us to seek to honor you in all that we do. Make our desires that we pray in line with your desires so that we might see them come to fruition, so that we might see you glorified. Lord, today I lift up our community Fairley, Ronsevert, Lewisburg, Crawley, Rupert, Lord, just all the areas where we live, where we interact with neighbors and friends and co-workers. I ask that you would make us lights in the darkness of this world, not lights on our own, but, but people who reflect your glory into the darkness of our world. Change the hearts of our friends and neighbors Change their hearts so that they might turn to you as their only hope, as their only redemption. Show them that they don't just need another thing to add to their life, but they need salvation from their sins. They need reconciliation with the God who created all things. Otherwise, they are in danger of judgment. Otherwise, they are in danger of your eternal displeasure. And so, Lord, help them to see their need for a Savior. Help them to see their need for salvation. I personally lift up to you, Lonnie and Christy. I personally lift up to you, Brian and Julie, Jay. Lord, and I ask that you change their hearts. Help them to see their need for you and draw them closer to you. Lord, as we turn toward your word, I ask that you open our eyes and our ears to see the truth that you have for us, the glory that will change our lives and help us in our walk toward holiness. I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Today we are in Proverbs chapter 12. Some of what I will preach on today, some of the, the points I will bring out well, actually came from an author that I, I truly enjoy reading. His name is Ed Welch. Um, if I had to recommend a book to you by Ed Welch, it would be all of them. 
Um, so start where you feel most comfortable. He is a uh, um, professor at Westminster Theological Seminary in their um, counseling department, um, but he has written a lot of good stuff on living out the gospel in our lives. And so some of his ideas will make their way through the sermon today. In all seriousness, if you're going to start with anything by Ed Welch, probably um, people, are, yeah, people are big and God is small. Um, which kind of lays out the overarching ideas that he has on how we should live according to the fear of God rather than the fear of man. Um, That is an excellent place to start, but really any of his books would be good to read. But um, I may not give credit to each individual idea that finds its way, that weaves its way through this sermon, but I did want to give him credit um, for the things that we talk about today. But we are in Proverbs chapter 12, and we will begin in verse 1 and read through verse 28. Hear God's word. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but the Lord condemns a crafty man. A man cannot be established through wickedness, but the righteous cannot be uprooted. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the speech of the upright rescues them. Wicked men are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous stands firm. A man is praised according to his wisdom, but men with warped minds are despised. Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than to pretend to be somebody and have no food. A righteous man cares for the needs of his animal, but the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. The wicked desire the plunder of evil men, but the root of the righteous flourishes. An evil man is trapped by his sinful talk, but a righteous man escapes trouble. From the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things, as surely as the work of his hands reward him. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. A truthful witness gives honest testimony, but a false witness tells lies. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. There is deceit in the hearts of those who plot evil, but joy for those who promote peace. No harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. A prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools blurts out folly. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The lazy man does not roast his game, but the diligent man prizes his possessions. In the way of righteousness there is life. Along that path is immortality. Let us pray. To the God above, we do thank you for this word. For these reminders in here of your glory, for these reminders in here of your guidance as we seek to walk in this world. 
Help us to take the truths that we learn here and apply them to our lives. Help us to take the glory of yours that we see in this and seek your favor and the favor of your glory. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give me a mouth that speaks your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently read a book on journaling by a man named Ryder Carroll. And he gave this quote in the book. He attributed it to a man whose last name is Bennett. But as I looked it up online, it's been attributed to many people over the last 20, 30 years. And it shows up in several different ways. But the quote is this. You can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. The basic meaning of this quote is that one should consider the friends that they hang around us. The people around us, whether they be acquaintances, whether they be co-workers, whether they be friends, whether they be family, have a great influence either for good or for evil on us. The people that we hang around with can change us. I remember growing up every year in chapel at the school that I went to, Dr. Keenan would stand up in the first chapel of the year. And at the time, I hated it. I thought it was one of the dumbest things he said, but he always gave a 20-minute talk on how birds of a feather flock together. And the impetus of his talk was, be careful of the friends that you hang out with because they show who you really are, but they also can affect who you really are. And it wasn't until much later in life that I found out that as much as I hated to admit it, Dr. Keenan was right. And we see this in today's passage. Solomon says in this passage that a wise man is cautious in his friendships, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. We must be careful of the people that we choose as friends. And Solomon in today's passage gives us some characteristics to look for in the people that we choose as our friends. He tells us that we are to look for friends with noble character. He tells us that we are to look for friends who are rooted in wisdom. And he tells us to look for friends who seek the favor of God. First, we are called to look for friends with noble character. Look at verse 4 with me to begin with. Verse 4 says, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. We look down at verse 8. It says, A man is praised according to his wisdom, but men with warped minds are despised. And what we see with this in these two verses is that nobility of character is important for people that we choose to be our friends. One of our closest friends is our spouse. And yet, our, and so we should pursue Spouses, it's like mice and mouse. I always want to say we should pursue spice, but that just doesn't work. We should pursue spouses who have a noble character, but not just spouses, but other men that we hang around with, other people that we hang around with, as we see in verse 8, will be praised according to their wisdom, but the, the warped mind, the ignoble character, will be despised within the world. 
within our friendships. What does a person with noble character look like? What is a noble character made up of? And there are many different answers that we are given throughout the book of Proverbs, but we're going to touch on two that are touched on in this particular passage. And that's that a person with a noble character should be a noble worker, and they should also have noble speech. And we're going to dive down even more. What does a person with noble worker Who is a noble worker? What does he look like or she? Someone who is a noble worker is a compassionate worker. Verse 10 says, A righteous man cares for the needs of his animal. The picture there is of a domesticated animal. In in an agricultural setting, you would have oxen that would pull the plow. You might have goats that would provide food for you or sheep that would provide food for you. And what it says here is that the righteous man cares for the needs of his animal. But the wicked person, even his compassionate acts are cruel. The most compassionate thing a wicked person can do is cruel to an animal or to another person. And the argument here is from greater or is from lesser to greater. And what the argument here is, is that a righteous man, a person of noble character, a compassionate worker is compassionate to his animals, so how much more will he be compassionate or she be compassionate to their fellow co-workers or their employees or their employers? We are to be compassionate in the work that we do, compassionate to the people around us, compassionate um, to the people who will be the end users of the products that we produce or that we sell to. A noble worker has compassion that is woven into the work that they do. A noble worker is also an honest worker. Good verse 12, the wicked man desire the plunder of evil men, but the root of the righteous flourishes. The wicked man desire to plunder other wicked people. They deserve, they desire to steal what they get. They desire to get what they pursue as far as food or money or sustenance through ill-gotten gains. Look later on in verse 27. The lazy man does not roast his game, but the diligent man prizes his possession. We would think here that what Solomon is talking about is that the lazy man eats only raw food. Maybe he eats sushi. Maybe he eats what's that Italian dish that's basically just really smashed, really thin, raw steak. But no, Bruce Waltke points out that the emphasis is on his in this particular Line in this particular verse, the lazy man does not roast his game. So if he's not roasting his game, whose game is he roasting? Somebody else's, probably somebody's that he stole. He didn't just go to Kroger and buy something that he didn't produce himself. He most likely stole the game that he produced. But the diligent man honors or prizes the possessions that he has worked for. So the noble worker is a compassionate worker. He's an honest worker, but he's also a diligent worker. We see this in verse 27 once again, where he prizes the possessions that he worked for. We see this in verse 24, where it says diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in working for other people or being dependent upon other people. And in verse 11, where it says he who works his land will have abundant food. But he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. We've already visited this as we looked at the ant and the sluggard back in chapter 6, 
or the ant is portrayed as making hay while the sun shines and doing his harvest during harvest time. But the sluggard is, is presented as a, as a person who is unwilling to wake up even when the, ripe, when the grain is ripe for harvest. And so a person of noble character is a noble worker. But they also have noble speech. They have forgiving speech. In verse 16, it talks about a fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. The picture here is a man who just flies off the handle whenever he's annoyed at you. We've all had that friend where where you've, you've just said something out of turn. You've said something that you really wish you could take back, but they just flew off the handle and attacked. But the wise man is one who takes those types of offenses and overlooks them either by just forgiving them outright or if they're serious enough, giving it time to rest, giving time, things time to settle down and then pursuing reconciliation. Someone with noble speech also has edifying speech. And you can write these verses down and look at them. But verse 6, verse 18, verse 23, and verse 25 Talk about speech that lifts up, speech that is edifying. Just as an example, verse 18, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know, I confessed last week that sometimes my words within my family are not the best. I have a tendency to be a very passive-aggressive type person. And passive-aggressive people hope that their words pierce, but you don't figure it out for another Five, ten hours, days, months, or weeks, or years, where you sit there and you think, oh, wait a minute, he, he just, I, I think he just slammed me. I think he just verbally destroyed me. That's the picture here. The, the foolish is the one whose words are, dis, are intended to destroy and to hurt. But the wise man speaks words that bring healing, that bring restoration, that bring peace, that bring life into a relationship. But noble speech is also true speech. We have verses in our passage, verse 9, verse 17, 19 and 20, verse 22, that talks about honesty within our speech, whether it's words presented in the, in the context of a courtroom as testimony is true or false. True speech from our friends is important. We need people who will shoot straight with us. When it comes to our life, we need people who will shoot straight with us when we get things wrong. We talked a little bit in Sunday school today about love. Love in our world has been equated with permissiveness. We don't confront sin in people's lives. We don't confront people when they do things wrong unless they vote differently than us. It's okay to yell and scream at them for that. But when it comes to to moral acts, we do not confront people in our world. I need friends who will shoot straight with me. I need friends who will be honest with me when I mess up. Kindly honest. Life-givingly honest. You need friends who will be honest with you, but we also need friends who, when life is just tough, when we are in Psalm 43 rather than in Psalm 148, where they come to us and they speak life to us. It talks in here about anxiety, and anxiety is not the clinical anxiety that we talk about typically, although that's part of it. Anxiety in this passage where it talks about the wise man speaking peace into anxiety. 
Anxiety here that it's talking about is when all the cares of the world just weigh you down. The wise person brings life and truth into your world. We need people who bring life to us right now in 2020, do we not? I mean, the good news of 2020 we talked about in in Sunday school is that there is the possibility that the earth will be struck by an asteroid the day before Election Day. That's the good news for 2020. Now, it is a small asteroid. It's only a 4% chance that it'll strike, and it'll most likely burn up in the atmosphere before it hits. So I was hoping come quickly, Lord Jesus, would be November 2nd, but okay. But we need people who, in the midst of the difficulties of living in this world, speak truth and life to us, who lift us up, who bring peace into our world, specifically through speaking truth. As I've been studying the book of Proverbs, there is a theme that comes up often. Yes, there are several. One of them is wisdom. But one of them is truth. In fact, in here, what does it say about truth in here? It says God delights in the man who speaks truth. He detests lying lips. I I remember when I was in third or fourth grade, I got caught in a lie. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but men who speak truth are his delight. And I know that because I had to write it like 300 times once I got caught in the lie over and over and over again. It has become a verse that has stuck with me throughout my life. Why does God hate hate lies? Why does God love truth and hate lies so much? It's because God is truth. God doesn't just define truth. God is truth. God doesn't write the standard for truth. God is the standard for truth. And what does Jesus say about Satan in the Gospel of John? He says that he is the father of lies. He is the father of deceit. Truth is important to God because when we speak truth, we show our allegiance to God. When we speak falsehood, when we speak deceit, we show our allegiance to Satan. There's no middle ground. We either pursue God's holiness through truth or we pursue the glory of Satan through falsehood. God takes truth very seriously. And we should too. We need to consider God's truthfulness and His hatred of lies when we are tempted to be deceptive. One of the foundations of wisdom is truth. God's truth, not ours, as I have said before. God delights in men who are truthful. We should look for people to be friends. We should look for people who have noble character, who are noble workers, and who have noble speech. We should also look for people who are rooted in wisdom. You can write these down again as I, as I rattle through them, but verse 1, verse 3, verse 5, verse 7, verse 15, verse 21. Talk about rootedness. They they talk about rooted in wisdom. Verse 1 opens with whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Now, stupid's a word I was not allowed to use when I was growing up. So I'll redefine it. Beastly. The stupid person, the one who hates correction is beastly, is barbaric, is more like an animal, like an untrained dog than like a human. 
Why would we love discipline? I remember mom and dad, you know, whenever I'd get in trouble, whenever I ever had to be punished, whether it was with timeout or with corporal punishment, you know, you'll understand one of these days. Yeah, I do. Didn't think it at the time. Why would we love correction? It's because we love wisdom. If we love wisdom, if we love to seek to walk according to the ways that God has shown us how to walk in the book of Proverbs and throughout the rest of his law, we're going to apply that truth. Are we always going to apply that truth correctly? No, we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to do things wrong. And God doesn't just leave us there in our stumbling, in our falling, in our wrongness. He corrects us. He disciplines us. Sometimes it's a gentle correction of a timeout. Sometimes it's a little bit more um, painful for us to be corrected. But if we are truly seeking to walk in wisdom, we should love when God corrects us. It shows us that he loves us. And it shows us that he wants us to be rooted in the wisdom that he offers. And the, and the pictures of rootedness that he gives in here, whether it's in verse 3 where the righteous cannot be uprooted, whether it's in verse 5 where the, 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 the plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. It shows the shaky foundation of the advice of the wicked. Whether it's verse 7 where wicked men are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous stands firm. Or verse 15 or verse 21, we should think to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7. Verses 24 through 27, where he says, the house of the one who does not apply God's law is like a house built upon sand. What happens to a house built upon sand? You know, for a time in Florida, most of the most of the land in Florida is sand. And for a time in Florida, when they would build houses, they would just pour the concrete slab right atop of the sand without a whole lot of footer going on. What happened to those foundations? They slid I remember one time having to clean up. They had built these condominiums on a hill and they had terraced the hill in Florida, which is hard enough as it is. But then you smack a, a, a high, not a high rise, but a three or four story condominium on the upper part of that hill. The next time it rained really heavy, the upper condominium ended up in the lower condominiums. We are to be rooted in wisdom. We are not to be like the one who hears these things and does nothing about them. We are to be the one who takes God's law and applies it in our, in our life, who loves discipline, who loves wisdom, so that our house is built upon the foundation, upon the rock. As Jesus goes on to say, and that leads us to the third characteristic that we should seek for. We should look for friends who have noble character. We should look for friends who are rooted in wisdom. And we should look for friends who seek favor with God. Verse 2, a good man obtains favor from the Lord, but the Lord condemns a crafty man. The main characteristic of a good friend is one who seeks the favor of the Lord. Friends should want to glorify God as much as they seek to love us. David and Jonathan were such strong friends because they both sought the glory of the Lord. Jonathan came to David one time and says, look, I am the rightful king. I am the rightful heir, but I know that God has anointed you to be king. So whatever I can do to make that as easy as possible, I'll do it. He sought God's glory. He sought God's favor in David's life. And David and Jonathan loved each other far 
deeper than siblings. I know we say blood is thicker than water, but sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes water is thicker than blood. As we seek these friends, as we seek friends who seek favor with God. You know, if they're honest in their work, if they're honest in their words, if they are people who are noble in character, who are rooted in wisdom, they will ultimately be people who seek favor with God. Why? Because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. As we learned back in verse one or chapter one and in chapter nine, and as we'll see throughout the rest of the book. The best friend is the one who seeks favor with God before he seeks favor with you. The most loyal friend is the one who seeks favor with God before she seeks favor with you. And the ultimate way to seek favor with God is through the cross. It's through knowing that I cannot have favor with God on my own. It takes the work of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to get me favor with God. I cannot earn it. It must be given. And so the greatest friend is the one who knows where they stand before God. As we look for friends, we should look for friends who are of noble character, for friends who are rooted in wisdom, and for friends who seek favor with God. But not only should we look for friends who meet these characteristics, we should all seek to be friends who meet these characteristics. Do Are we noble in our work? Are we compassionate, honest, and diligent in our work? Are we somebody who, if we are asked a favor, can be trusted to show up and to work hard in the completion of that favor? Are we people who practice edifying, forgiving, and truthful speech as we approach our friends? Are we rooted in wisdom? Are we working on our own heart in seeking to be wise people in seeking to live a wise life, are we accepting of correction when God gives it to you? And sometimes God gives you correction through your friends. I'll warn you of that right now. And you can either destroy a friendship over that or you can understand that that is God's loving correction that has come to you through that friend. God is helping you be more and more rooted in wisdom through that friend. And do you seek favor with God? As I said, probably the best place to start with Ed Welch books is when people are big and God is small. And he answers, seeks to answer the question in that book, why do we care so much about what other people think about us when 95% of the time they're not? It's because we care more about what they think about us than what God thinks about us. We seek to impress them more than we seek to impress him. Now, I, I say this in all knowledge that we cannot find favor with God apart from Christ. But how many of us find favor with God in Christ and then stop seeking his favor? We must learn to rest in his grace. We must learn to work hard our salvation with fear and trembling, understanding that he is the loving father who seeks to make us people who are rooted in wisdom and to give us a noble character through Christ. Let us pray. Our God and Father, forgive us for where we fail, for where we falter in seeking your favor. Because in failing to seek your favor, we show 
our allegiance to our own glory rather than yours. And so help us to rest in the work of Christ and to work out our salvation and to continue to seek your favor through our life so that you will give us the rootedness and wisdom and the nobility of character that we need to be good friends. And Lord, whether we're young and just now starting out to build friendships that will last a lifetime, or whether we're older and have had friendships that have lasted a lifetime, help us to examine those friendships and to see and to cherish the ones that are built on a noble character, that are rooted in wisdom, and that find favor with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn today comes from the hymn book. It is hymn number 408. Come, we that love the Lord. Those who love the Lord are welcomed into his presence. And let us stand and hear this call from hymn number 408. Come, we that love the Lord. As you go this week, as you seek friendships that are built on nobility of character, that are built and rooted in wisdom, and that are built on the seeking of God's favor, take this blessing upon you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. At the end of the book of Revelation, Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. And so we pray with John, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.